0: This time we're going to uh, invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number two, and we're going through a series here on Sunday mornings through the book of Philippians, basically a verse by verse study, and uh, hopefully it's been encouraging and, and helpful, and maybe you understand a little bit better what Paul was saying here as you've, as we've gone through this uh, this series so far. Um, well, we finished chapter one, and now. Today, we're going to start chapter number 2, Philippians chapter 2. And as you, if you find that, if you would join me in standi- standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. And uh, we're going to read the first five verses here. Philippians chapter number 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes in verse 1, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others." let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The voice of the Lord is thundering this morning <laughs> with great power. All right, let's pray one more time. We'll get into the message today, and uh, hopefully the uh, the thunder's not too bad. Lord, I thank you for uh, allowing us to be in your house uh, today. and Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus our attention now upon your word and your will for each of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be good hearers today, but more than that, I pray that we would be good doers of what we hear. Lord, help us to know that we'll be now accountable for the truth that is presented today. I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to that truth and that we would apply this message to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I want to start by asking a question this morning. How many of you have ever in one of your vehicles, run out of gas? Would you raise your hand? A few of us have. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I am embarrassed to admit to you that this happened to me uh, just a little over a week ago. Uh, some of you may know that I recently uh, got a motorcycle. And yes, I am one of those big bad pastors. Um <laughs> But uh, a few days ago, uh, I was on my way to the gas station for the very purpose of filling my tank up with gas. And uh, I was a mile and a half away from there, and uh, my motorcycle stopped. And I went, oh, well, that's okay. I have a reserve tank. But I realized that it was already on the reserve tank. (laughs) Oh, no. And uh, so I had to uh, do what every manly man has to do. I had to call my wife to rescue me. (laughs) And so I called her and said, uh, you know, I hate to tell you this, and she doesn't like getting phone calls when I'm riding my motorcycle. Uh, but uh, she got a phone call from me saying, can you please uh, jump in the truck and put a gas can in there and uh, head my way? And and uh, so she eventually got there, and people were passing me. Are you okay? You need help? No, oh, I just ran out of gas. Uh, was pretty embarrassing. Um, now, obviously, things run better when they are full, right? Uh, your 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 phone works better when the battery is full. Your car works better. Your motorcycle works better. I found out uh, works a lot better when it's full of fuel. And uh, and by the way, you work better too when you're full of joy. Now, Paul had joy, no doubt about it, and yeah, we learned a little bit about that even in Philippians chapter one and. And it's especially important to remember the context of when this book was written. It was written while Paul was in prison. And yet he has this joy that is, uh, that is hard to really explain uh, without talking about the Lord. Um, we've, we've seen here that Paul has joy, but, but as he thinks about this church family, something was indeed missing in Paul's joy particularly when he considered this precious church family that he loved so much. Now, we've already seen and noticed that Paul's rejoicing was not in circumstances, Uh, but instead he had joy because he was rejoicing in the unchanging God uh, of the Bible, that God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, and he is the Lord, and he changes not. And so that is where our rejoicing needs to be. But as he was sitting there, considering this church family that had grown so close to his heart, uh, there was something going on in this church that he wanted to address. And one of the reasons he wrote this very epistle. Um, uh, Paul was thinking about this church that he loved so much, and he realized there was some dissension going on in the church. And we'll get to it a little bit more in detail, but if you flip over to um, Philippians chapter number 4, just a a page over maybe from where you're at. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1. And We'll again talk about this in a little more detail when we get to uh, Philippians chapter 4. But in verse 2, he mentions here, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Evidently, there were these two ladies in this church that were not of the same mind. Uh, Can you imagine a church... With two ladies who disagreed with each other, hard to believe. Must have been a a different denomination. Must have been a Lutheran church, or you know something. Definitely wasn't a Baptist church because us Baptists always get along with one another, don't we? Uh, I wish that were the case. Um, but this is one of the reasons that Paul wrote Philippians chapter number two is because these two ladies were disagreeing with one another, and so he had to address it. Before he calls them out by name, he gives them some information and some instruction here that uh, I think would be wise for us at Cornerstone Baptist Church to understand as well. And so there was some joy missing in Paul's life. And so he said here uh, in verse number two, two, fulfill ye my joy. You know, I'm, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, yes. But as I think about what's going on in your church family, There's something that's, boy, if this got fixed, then my joy would be full. And I would be running on full instead of close to empty. And so uh, this is why he writes this. And so this morning, I want to unpack these verses and see what Paul encourages this church family to do in order to solve the issues that were going on. So first, Paul shares, number one, some convincing motivation. Uh, there was some convincing motivation that he shares here in uh, verse number one. He says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. So he gives them there here four uh, very important motivations, some convincing motivations as well. As I think about some convincing motivation, I... I thought about this, or I read this um, story here. A a museum was having no success in keeping patrons from touching and soiling priceless furniture and art, despite the do not touch signs. They had do do not touch signs all over the place, but of course that was almost an invitation for people to touch all the things they didn't want them to touch. Well, the problem evaporated overnight when a clever museum employee replaced the signs with ones that read, Caution! Wash hands after touching. And giving people an idea, you don't really want to touch that because you don't know who else has touched that. Um, and so having the right motivation is absolutely key. And and so Paul here gives the church at Philippi some convincing motivation. Uh, now the, the chapter here starts, and of course... Uh, for those of us who who don't know, uh, the chapter divisions are not necessarily inspired. They're they're they were added sometime after the Word of God was assembled to kind of help us to find things quicker. Um, and so, really, a Philippians chapter number uh, one and two were really one letter, and chapter three and four were just one letter kind of smashed together. Um, and so, when we hear, when we see here, if there be therefore any consolation. Obviously, when we see the word therefore, we always need to see why it's therefore. And so we go back and look at chapter 1 a little bit, the end of it. He's promising that the church family is going to go through some trials, some difficulties, some conflict. And so he said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies. And we're going to break these down here uh, this morning. Now, the first word I want to look at here is the word if. Um, Now, the word if, at first glance, seems like it's it's conditional. But in reality, Paul is using it as an argument rather than a condition. In other words, Paul was saying, since there is consolation in Christ, since there's comfort of love, since there's fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is bowels and mercy, I want you to fulfill ye my joy. And so Paul's ready to give out some instruction to this church family, but before he gets into it all, he gives some motivation, some truths that he wanted to remind them of, and good reminders for us as well. What are they? First of all, he mentions the consolation in Christ. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and I'll just stop and say, our consolation or encouragement indeed comes from Jesus Christ. Uh. There is no greater source of encouragement or consolation than Jesus Christ. And yet how sad that many people in their hour of need will look for consolation and comfort in all the wrong places first. We'll look to friends, we'll look to spouses, we'll look to someone else other than the Lord And then when they can't deliver the consolation or the encouragement we need, then maybe we'll go to the Lord. My encouragement for all of us this morning is to uh, find our consolation and encouragement in Christ first. H.A. Ironside put it this way. He said, since you know there are consolations and comforts in Christ, if these things are blessed realities, how incongruous for a believer to act as though they are non-existent. yet, unfortunately, many believers do act as if these uh, truths are non-existent. Uh, We forget these things when we're going through those times of trial and conflict and suffering. Uh, I read about Pepper Rogers, who was a college football coach back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, I know we're getting excited here in Oklahoma for college football season to really kick things off soon. Pepper Rogers, here's what he had to say about needing encouragement, and he shared this story. He said, a few years back, I was in the middle of a terrible season as a football coach at UCLA, and I know what some of you are thinking. It's because you were at UCLA and not at the University of Oklahoma or OSU. Just to not cause division in the church. We're trying to create unity. Um, but he said... I was in the middle of a terrible season as football coach at UCLA. and It even got so bad that it upset my home life. He said, my dog was my only friend. So I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends. She agreed, and so she bought me another dog. <laughs> Ouch. A friend is someone you can turn to when things aren't going well. When others scatter or offer to buy us another dog... A true friend draws closer, giving even more of their time, more of themselves. Although we might all hope for more than one good friend, it is a tremendous blessing to have at least one. And even if everyone else disappoints us, it's nice to know that we can always count on the friendship of Christ, that we are never without the best of friends. Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I'm thankful for the friendship and the encouragement and the consolation we can have in Christ. The David, the man after God's own heart, was wise to encourage himself in the Lord his God. Last Sunday night, I brought a message from that very passage in the life of David called, When the Going Gets Tough. And if you weren't here for that service, I want to encourage you to listen to it as I believe it can really help you as you face Tough times in your life, and that message is posted on our church website. Yes, there is consolation and encouragement in Christ, and there is an infinite supply. And Paul's saying to this church family, Hey, since there is encouragement and consolation in Christ, and he reminds them of that and gives us some convincing motivation. He convinces them of the fact that there is consolation in Christ. But then, secondly, he tells them about the comfort of love. And verse 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, nothing quite brings comfort like knowing that you are loved. If you would think in your own mind right now about someone that is comforting to be around. Maybe it's a parent. Uh, Maybe it's a spouse. Hopefully it's a spouse. Maybe it's a special friend. Why is that? Why are they so comforting to be around and they're kind of your safe place? You know, I just like being around you because I feel safe. Why is that? It's because you know that they indeed love you. And you sense their love. And so you enjoy being around them because you're loved. He says, there's great comfort of love. As I think about that, of course, we automatically think of the love of God that he has toward us. And uh, many times we read in the Bible that he said that he loved us. And that is pretty special, that God would love us in spite of who we are, in spite of our condition, in spite of our sin. In the book of Romans, he says, uh, God demonstrated or, or commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You know, it's easy to love someone who loves you back, but it's quite another to love someone who does not return that love. And that's exactly what God did for us when he loved us and sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And the love of God is special. And and hopefully we feel comfortable, so to speak, around God because we know he loves us. And he said it, and he, again, proved it. It wasn't something he just said. He went the extra step and proved it on the cross of Calvary by sending his only begotten son. But also the love of the brethren as well, I think about. Not only the love of God, but there are some special people in the faith that uh, hopefully uh, you feel comfortable around because you know that they love you. I've heard by many people since being pastor here at Cornerstone Baptist Church that, that say that Corner, Cornerstone Baptist Church is a very loving church. And I would have to completely agree. Um, my family and I would testify that our families felt the love here and we've been challenged as well to grow in our love for one another while we've been here. I know that God, and and I share the same desire that God has, is that our church would be a place where someone can sense the amazing love of our God and the warm, (laughs) loving church family. There's there's a lot of churches out there where they can hear about the love of God, I'm sure. But to hear about the love of God and to sense the love from the brethren, uh, that's a unique thing. And uh, I want to encourage us as a church family to keep growing in that, to love one another. Because it is greatly comforting. 1 John 3 and verse 16, John writes, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And then he goes on to say, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, it's not enough to just say, Well, I'm so appreciative of God's love for me, but that should propel me now to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on in chapter 4, 1 John 4, 11, He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. How are we doing in that? I think we all could stand to increase and grow in our love for one another and our love for God as well. So here he gives the motivation of the fact that there is consolation in Christ. And then he says, secondly, there is great comfort in love. And I hope that, and he was saying, I hope you know that I love you, church family. But then he says, thirdly here in verse number one, the communion of the Spirit is another motivation. He says in verse one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, notice The word spirit is capitalized, and that, of course, is an indication that we're not talking just about an attitude or or any old spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the members of the Trinity. Now, the word fellowship here, fellowship of the spirit, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which means partnership, participation, or communion. Now, in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit did not indwell the believer. That's unique to the New Testament age, and particularly after the day of Pentecost. But in the book of Joel, we read this prophecy. And Joel is an Old Testament book, Joel chapter 2. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. And so Joel was prophesying here of a a day yet in the future that would come when God the Holy Spirit would come and indwell the believer. Well, the promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 gives us the record of that day. Here's what it says. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, much like what we heard last night if you were awake. <laughs> um, and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, we now live in the time when once a person believes on Christ, that same moment the Holy Spirit of God immediately indwells that believer. It is a privilege and a precious blessing that God would indwell us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, you and I, when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we believe on Him, He immediately uh, takes residence in us. And the Bible refers to us as the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Precious. It is mind-blowing to know that when God came to this earth, do you remember that? And pretty soon we'll start seeing Christmas. Have you started seeing Christmas decorations in some stores already? That's wrong. Thank you. I knew we'd get at least one amen out of that. My wife is shaking her head. She wants, she wants to 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 stand up and and rebuke the preacher right now. But pretty soon we'll be celebrating Christmas, and one of the great things about Christmas is is learning that God became flesh and dwelt among us, and that His name was going to be called Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. But you see, as you go through and And since the day of Pentecost, when a believer trusts Christ as his Savior, at that point, not only is God dwelling among us, now God is dwelling in us. And that is a whole different level, my friend, to have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. That's special. That's wonderful. Now we have the fellowship of the Spirit and we're instructed in our relationship with the Spirit to not grieve the Spirit, to not quench the Spirit, but instead to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Dio Moody said this. He said, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there's no room for the Holy Spirit. We must be emptied before we can be filled. That's a good thought. So the communion with the Spirit. And then fourthly, here he gives the the, the fourth uh, convincing motivation, and that is a compassionate heart, the compassion of our hearts. (coughs) Verse number one excuse me, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy. Bowels is a reference to the tender mercies and affection of a mother and her young child. It it means inward affection. It's those times when you're touched with compassion from your innermost person and have a deep yearning for someone. Perhaps watching an infomercial about some children in a faraway country who are dying of starvation pulls your heart This is what Paul's trying to do with the Philippians. He's saying, look, if you have any emotional heart here, I want to I ask you to fulfill ye my joy. Unfortunately, this is sadly missing in many Christians. We have become cynical and calloused, We fail to see people as souls whom Jesus loves and died for. Perhaps that neighbor that drives you bonkers because of their loud music late at night. Maybe it's a homeless person on the side of the road as you are stopped at a stoplight. And maybe it's a relative that just you cannot stand. And you've grown calloused. You've grown cynical. Have your tears of compassion dried up for the lost in our community and in our world? You know, a close relationship with Jesus Christ will cause us to see people as he sees them. And he sees people with the eyes of compassion. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Paul is basically saying here, I'm appealing to your heartstrings on this one, your emotional heart. I want you to fulfill ye my joy and make things right among yourselves. So he gives them these four convincing motivations before he gives them the instruction. And so we, we just need a little motivation at times. I read about uh, a Michigan company who wanted to make sure that their employees got to work on time. And so they had 45 parking spaces for only 50 cars. So you had to be there on time or you didn't get a parking space. We all need a little motivation. And Paul here gives some motivation to the church in Philippi and also us as well. Paul's desires that this church family would fulfill his joy and send it over the top. So he gives them these convincing motivations. And next, he goes for the root of the issue and challenges them regarding number two, the Christian's mind. The Christian's mind. Verses two through five, we see the mind of a Christian and what Paul's desire that these these Christians would have. And Paul doesn't just deal with the fruit and the symptoms. He goes into the heart of the matter, which is many times the matter of the heart and the mind. And so he instructs these believers to have the right type of mind. I've heard it said that the battlefield in the life of a Christian is in the mind. It's right between the ears. And our minds is where the battle is either won or lost. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, what kind of a Christian, or what kind of mind should a Christian have according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5? First of all, we are to have a like mind. A like mind in verse 2, fulfill ye my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So they're to have a like-mind. Was it a like-mind just with the Apostle Paul? Paul's saying, I want everybody to think just like I thinks. I don't think that's at all what he was saying. He was saying, I want you to think just like the pastor of your church thinks. Then you'll be like-minded. I don't think that's what he was trying to say either. I think he was trying to say, let's think like the Lord thinks, and then we'll have the right mind. A.W. Tozer, the in his book, The Pursuit of God, said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So Tozer's saying, look, being like-minded is more than just everyone agreeing with each other. It's everyone agreeing with God. He says here, having the the same love, loving the same thing. Do we love God? And if we really do love God, we're going to eventually start loving each other because that is the natural byproduct of loving God is loving one another. And then he says here uh, in verse 2, Fulfill you my joy, they be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. And no, Paul wasn't a Honda fan. And if you don't get that joke, don't worry about it. It's not that funny anyway. That, the word one accord means co-spirited. <clears throat> that is similar in sentiment, like-minded. To have that one accord where you're, you're, you're basically going the same direction. And then he says in one mind at the end of verse 2, one mind. Uh, Paul mentions this to the church at Corinth as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. So he says, be of one mind, live in peace. And that is how we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to live. Benjamin Franklin made a comment at the time of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He says, we must all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. And you know that's so true, that was so true for the church at, at Philippi, because again, they were going to face some persecution. They were going to face some difficulties in that day. It's important for us as believers as well, to stick together, to be of one mind, to be like-minded, to be like-minded. But then secondly here, in verse number three, we see, not only are we have a like mind, we're, ha- we're to have a lowly mind. In verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse number three starts with, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I think probably a lot of us in our homes would be wise to put that particular phrase and plaster it around our house. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. A good reminder for siblings in the home, right? A good reminder for spouses in the home. What produces strife and vainglory? The answer is pride. Pride is what produces strife and vainglory. Proverbs 13.10 continues this thought. He says, only by pride cometh contention. James also refers to this, and he says, "From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust, that war in your members? ye you lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Then he goes on to talk about the answer to the lust and the pride. He says, "But he giveth more grace, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud." but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. A memory verse that we had as a church in the month of June, Isaiah 57 and verse 15, For thus saith the High and Lofty One, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God wants us to have a mind of humility, a, a lowly mind that doesn't think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. But I realize we live in a day where uh, we talk about self esteem and having a good, healthy self esteem all the time. You know, the word self esteem is not found in the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us to stop thinking so much about ourselves and start thinking about others. The problem is not that we think poorly about ourselves, it's the fact that we think too much about ourselves. God wants us to get our minds and our eyes off ourselves and on the needs of others. I think of a good example of having a lowly mind here. Uh, I read about George Whitfield he was a great preacher of yesteryear and he said uh, here's the story although george whitfield disagreed with john wesley on some theological matters he was careful not to create problems in public that could be used to hinder the preaching of the gospel and someone when someone asked whitfield if he thought he would see wesley in heaven whitfield replied i fear not and he goes on to say for he will be so near the eternal throne and we, at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. You see, he still fought, even though there were some disagreements, even though there was, they didn't see eye to eye on every little thing. George Whitfield had uh, a lowly mind when it came to this matter. And God wants us to have a lowly mind as well. Thirdly here, we see in verse number four that we are to have... Not only a like mind, a lowly mind, but also a loving mind in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I know all of us are pretty, we're experts at thinking about our own needs, aren't we? We know when we're hungry, and some of you are right this moment, and hoping and praying that I hurry up. I will encourage you in the Lord by saying, this is my last page of notes. Whatever that may mean. You don't know how long these pages are. (laughs) This could be my only page of notes. Um, But we all are very good at taking care of our own needs. We know when we need something, and we do what we can to take care of them. But here in verse 4, he says, Look not man, every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't automatically just think about ourselves and and yourself. Think about the needs of those around you that you can show some love. And this is what he was trying to say to this church family that was maybe a little more focused on themselves than they should have been. Think about how this thought would help our marriages if we would stop just thinking about my needs being met and making sure, I want to make sure, honey, that your needs are being met. How can I serve you? And then if she has that same mentality, imagine how happy our marriage would be. Trying to compete on meeting each other's needs the, as, as best we can. That would be a blessing. What about in our, in our homes with siblings? Looking not on our own things, but on the things of others. Instead of saying the word, that's mine. This is where we get the concept of sharing. This is where we get the concept of not being the first one in line and elbowing everybody out. Hey, I was first. This is my week. This is my day. Uh, I get the first one. What about in our church? Thinking about things not of ourselves but on the things of others. What about in our workplace? Well, if I don't think about myself, no one else is going to. But who cares? God wants us to have a loving mind. This is a great way for you to be a godly testimony in your workplace. Okay, those all make sense, but what about this one? And this one might be convicting for some of us. What about on the road? Okay, well, you just stopped preaching, Pastor, and now you're meddling. Now you're really stepping on my toes. Because, yeah, all those other things make sense, but to be loving on the road? I mean, that idiot, I mean, uh, that other driver, having a loving spirit on the road, too? Wow. That, uh, That could go a long way as well. This applies everywhere. Everyone is always trying to get all the credit, aren't they? On his desk in the Oval Office, President Reagan kept a small plaque with the words that said this, There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he does not mind who gets the credit. Too often we want the credit, we want the accolades, we want the pat on the back, we want people to notice us. But we need to have an idea that, hey, we need to have a loving mind here. Charles Meigs wrote this little quick poem, and mo- most of us have heard this before. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live like thee. Having a loving mind. And then finally and lastly, and we'll, we'll wrap it up with this thought here. God, our Paul is telling them to have the Lord's mind in verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, we'll get more into this thought next week as we look at verses 5 through 8 next Sunday, Lord willing. But ultimately, if we have the Lord's mind, it will help us to have a like mind. It will help us to have a lowly mind because the greatest example of humility was Jesus Christ. It'll help us to have a loving mind because there was no one more loving than the Lord himself. And so if we have the Lord's mind, it's going to help us to have the mind of a Christian that Paul's encouraging these Philippians to do in order to fulfill his joy. And So this morning, I just want to encourage you with the same motivations, and hopefully they're convincing in your life that there is great consolation in Christ, an unlimited supply that there is tremendous comfort of love and that that communion of the Spirit and how precious that is as a New Testament believer. And then the compassion of the heart would encourage you to have the right type of mind, a a like mind that we're one body as a church family, that there's not a division in the church. Uh, There was some great division that was taking place in the church at Corinth. And he said, look, let there be no divisions among you. There should not be two segments in our church. There's one church. We're going the same direction. We have one one mind, one spirit. We're striving together for the faith of the gospel we talked about last Sunday. And help us have a a, a lowly mind, a, a mind where we're not trying to get all the credit. We're not trying to be noticed and we're also trying to love one another. And uh, I hope that that these thoughts have been helpful to you and that um and that the Lord has spoken to your heart about it. And that you'll maybe change your thinking and uh, adopt the Christian's mind um as we go forward. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture. How practical it is for every area of our life. Lord, help us to appreciate these motivating truths that Paul shares here. And then, Lord, help us to adopt the mind of Christ and to adopt the Christian's mind here that we're supposed to have a a, a like mind with one another, a, a lowly mind not thinking ourselves higher than we should and esteeming others better than we esteem ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a loving mind where we love one another. We think on things of, of, of others instead of just ourselves all the time. And then, Lord, ultimately help us to adopt the Lord's mind.